It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Today, February 16th, marks Elizabeth Paradovich Day, and several celebratory events are planned in Sitka, including a parade down Lincoln Street. But one plan to honor the Tlingit civil rights leader is taking longer than some hoped. At its regular meeting on February 8th, the Sitka Assembly heard from a large group of residents hoping to expedite a plan to install a yellow cedar bench in downtown Sitka to commemorate Paradovich's legacy. Around 15 people spoke in favor of moving forward with the project. Long-standing former Alaska Native Brotherhood President Harriet Belil advocated for the bench's installation in front of Harrigan Centennial Hall. The right and honorable decision is to place the Elizabeth Pridevich bench in front of the Centennial Building for everyone to see, especially the future generations to come. It is a fitting legacy for you to make and be remembered for. Other advocates called on the Assembly to convene a special meeting before Elizabeth Paradovich Day, the anniversary of the day in 1945 when the Alaska Territorial Legislature signed the nation's first Anti-Discrimination Act. Local woodworker Zach LaPerriere carved the bench early last year from a yellow cedar tree that fell during a windstorm. It was commissioned by the Birds and Benches Group, which aims to create a series of benches and bird sculptures throughout Sitka as cultural and historical markers. The Assembly met with the Birds and Benches group last September to discuss the possibility of installing three benches, including the bench honoring Elizabeth Paradovich, in front of Harrigan Centennial Hall. The group plans for the benches to replace the statue of Alexander Baranov, which was moved to the Sitka History Museum after a group of Sitkins called for its removal in 2020. The Assembly will discuss the placement of the bench at its next regular meeting on February 22nd. A Sitka man has been indicted on numerous charges after attempting to burn down a trailer owned by his former employer. The Sitka grand jury indicted 32-year-old Osman Casco on January 6th on one count of burglary in the first degree, one count of attempted arson in the second degree, and one count of criminal mischief. According to court records, Sitka police responded to a trailer in the 1300 block of Sawmill Creek Road where the owner was confronting Casco, who had moved out three days prior after being fired from a restaurant. Officers entered the residence and observed significant damage to the property and found gasoline had been poured over the floors. In one of the bedrooms, officers found a mostly empty red gas can with its cap off. Casco reportedly admitted to officers that he planned to burn the place down, but his lighter wouldn't work. Police arrested Casco and he is currently being held at the Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau, pending a $5,000 bail. His trial has been scheduled in Sitka Superior Court the week of March 7, 2022. Yakutat reported one new coronavirus case on Tuesday, according to the Department of Public Safety. The new case brings Yakutat's active case count down from 23 last week to one. The patient is a local resident who is symptomatic at the time of testing. The infection is being attributed to community spread. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Yakutat has reported a total of 115 coronavirus cases. A former Sitka resident who was denied millions in civil damages when a decoration fell on her head in Harrigan Centennial Hall has taken her claims to the Alaska Supreme Court. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports on last week's oral arguments before the court. Sandy Sulzbach was a member of the New Archangel Dancers who was injured in 2016 during a rehearsal for the group's Alaska Day performance. A ceiling decoration at Harrigan Centennial Hall 
fell and hit her on the head, and Salzbach and her husband Rob subsequently sought just under $4 million in damages from the city. In 2019, a Sitka jury found the city was not negligent and therefore not responsible for the claim. Attorney Mark Choate represents the Salzbachs, and on February 10th, he and the city's attorney, Timothy Bowman, each had 25 minutes to argue their sides before the Alaska Supreme Court. As part of his appeal, Choate cited a 1989 case, Patton versus Spa Lady. When you possess land, you have uh, a duty to make sure it's safe. In the case, James Patton was leaning over a sink at a fitness center when he was shocked by an electrical outlet that had been installed during the center's expansion. Generally, an employer isn't responsible for the torts of its independent contractors, but there are some exceptions. And in this case, it was found that the landowner was vicariously liable for the injury that occurred on their property. Between an innocent possessor of land and an innocent third party injured because of the negligence of the possessor's independent contractor, the possessor should bear any loss because the possessor is a better position to know what risk of injury exists and to take steps to guard against them. Choate said this exception applied to the city and to John Farrick, the independent contractor in the suit who installed the decorative fixture that fell on Solzbach. Farrick wasn't a paid independent contractor for the city. He was volunteering for the Alaska Day Committee. And that's why attorney Timothy Bowman argued that the direction of the suit was misplaced. In this case, the city had no role in selecting the decoration. They had no role in, you know, directing the time that Mr. Farrick was going to show up or how he was going to do it. Um, the decoration itself was not owned by the city. And... He never consulted with the city regarding his method of hanging. And then the city didn't know or have reason to know how he had planned to hang the decorations in the first place. Bowman said the only input the city had was on where to attach the decorations in the new building. Despite knowing that Mr. Farrick was working for the Alaska Day Committee, the appellants declined to add them as a party in this case. Therefore, to the extent that they complain that they've been deprived of an avenue of redress, they have nobody to blame but themselves. During his rebuttal, Choate maintained that the property owner, not the Alaska Day Committee, is the responsible party. Public facilities, especially government-owned public facilities, should be safe. And when you come into them as a third party, you should assume, just as I assume today and all of us assume, that nothing is going to hit us in the head, that it won't. A decision from the Alaska Supreme Court on the Sulzbach appeal is forthcoming. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. A new oversight board tasked with revitalizing Alaska's state-run ferry system met for the first time last Friday. There's new opportunity from the promise of hundreds of millions in federal funds expected to flow into the system. But as Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, there are difficult decisions ahead on how best to invest the money. Shirley Marquardt, a former executive director of the Marine Highway, was selected to chair the Alaska Marine Highways Operations Board. The board was created by unanimous consent of the Alaska legislature last year. The former Unalaska mayor remarked that the combination of federal funding and united support for the ferry system is an opportunity to finally modernize the fleet. You know, this is a chance to take, you know, to take our older vessels that have just completely outused their, their life cycle, but we keep putting millions and millions and millions. And in the time we're doing that, we're leaving passengers sitting at the dock you know, for weeks late, and we're, we're, you know, the morale of employees is going down the tank 
because they're just, you know, they're stuck. The new board includes appointees from both the House and Senate, as well as the governor. It replaces the now-defunct Marine Transportation Advisory Board, which had little practical authority. And that looks less likely to be the case with the new group. Member Keith Hillard, a captain of the Matanuska Ferry, was nominated by the three ferry unions. He complained of poor maintenance planning and a lack of coordination from shoreside management for recent snafus. I'm not going to speak for every captain and chief engineer, but um, us going into the yard with the Matanus this year, the chief engineer and I had no idea what was planned, what work was planned, what was scoped uh, going into the yard. He says repairs are routinely delayed due to cost cutting. That leads to deferred maintenance until it snowballs. The Matanuska's scheduled eight-week overhaul took nearly 17 weeks due to rotted steel, and that led to cancellations across the region. Another challenge facing the ferry system is a crew shortage. More than 70% of entry-level stewards' jobs are vacant. Marine Highway General Manager John Falvey told the board that the entire maritime industry is struggling with crew. We are working very hard to try to hire more vessel staff back. We've, we, we've lost you know, quite a few from COVID, things like that. We've got a pretty aggressive uh, uh, marketing campaign in place. We're working very, very closely with uh, uh, the Department of Labor. Unlicensed crew members don't have guaranteed work hours. And so when ships are laid up for cost cutting or go into overhaul, Keith Hillard, the ferry captain, says they are left high and dry. They pretty much get a forced four-month layoff. And unfortunately, a lot of them find year-round jobs during that time and don't come back. Reforming the organizational structure of the Marine Highway is also something the Oversight Board may tackle. Proposals have been floated to create a public corporation or a ferry authority with more autonomy from the executive branch. It would also allow long-range funding rather than going to the legislature each year. John Falvey, the Marine Highway's top operations official for nearly 18 years, admitted these are all conversations worth having. You know, I mean, we have processes, but are they... You know, are they are they the best way to be doing it? You know, and, and we've been doing it a certain way for a long time, but maybe we got to retool and, 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 and try to do things differently. And I know that. Governor Dunleavy has proposed using $135 million in federal money to fund the ferry system in the coming year. That would reduce the state's contribution to zero. That idea has already received pushback. Southeast Conference, a regional civic and industry organization that advocates for economic development, passed a resolution earlier this month calling on the Dunleavy administration to primarily invest the federal funds into long-term needs of the ferry system. Executive Director Robert Venables made that pitch to the operations board. We know that some of those funds should be and need to be used for operations, but at the same time, we want to find that balance between just consuming those funds and using those funds for long-term investments. Ferry Operations board members expressed interest in meeting frequently for shorter meetings, and it could hold its next session later this month. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.